Welcome back to the Beer and Pretzel Podcast, your podcast for the host of one-shot role-playing game playthroughs and reviews and interviews with game creators. Today we're here back again with Derek, who I think it was like over a year ago that we talked to you for our very first recording of a role-playing game of, of Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse, the mouse role-playing game where you play as bikers, which is a great concept, and we're going to be returning to that game this time with Becky, who didn't get to play with us last year. Derek, first of all, thanks for coming back on and talking Heavy Thunder Metal Mouse with us. And I screwed up again. Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse. Thanks so much for having me, Austin. I was really thrilled when you uh, emailed me. It's good to be back. I reached out to you because we want to play this game again and get you back on to chat more about it. They came at perfect timing because you have a new Kickstarter uh, for the expansion, uh, which will be going more into different settings. You can set it instead of just Thunder City. And it's heavy metal Thunder Mouse beyond Thunder City. So in the year or so since we talked to you last time till now, of course, this could be a major part of it. But how has your life been going with role-playing games in general over the last year since we talked? You guys maybe heard the news. There, there, There is a pandemic on. So that kind of changed things a little bit. Though not so much for my role-playing life because our group, my main, I have one main role-playing group and... Um, and a few years ago, those about half the group moved to Ohio. Mm. And so we had started playing online. And so um, it wasn't like we had this in-person group that suddenly had to pivot and play online because of the Pandini. Uh, so for my main group, not a lot has changed except for like not being able to meet in person at all. Uh, but I found myself uh, playing a few solitaire or solo tabletop role-playing games. Mm. Um, which led me to create uh, a solitaire game of my own called Broken Cask. So that was big this year. Yeah, short of that, I've been. I found the pandemic led me to play more computer role playing games. So more more PC and Switch gaming hmm. this past year and a half than I have done in like probably ten years since. Because about ten years ago was when I sort of changed gears from being primarily a video gamer to being more of a tabletop gamer. And then I think I kind of pivoted back uh, this last year, times being what they are. But but on the whole, we're doing well. The family is healthy and well, thank God. And uh, we're just kind of riding this thing out and trying to have as much fun as we can. No, no, it's great. And good to hear everyone's been safe during these troubling times. And thank you. like with you, we, of course, had more time during the pandemic to record and play more games and just try different things out. You were talking about playing more, being able to sit down and you know play Steam and other video games again. Do you feel like any of the games you played help influence you at all in any of your new role-playing games, either the new role-playing game, the solo one you made recently, or this new expansion to uh, Thunder Mouse? That's a good question. I can't think of any specific design decisions I made where I saw something in a game and I was like, oh yeah, I got to do that. But I do play a lot of slice of life kind of cozy games. Um, and so, you know, what, one of the games I play the most because I'm a Tolkien nerd is the Lord of the Rings online. And there's lots of wonderful inns and taverns you can visit in that game, which I think helped maybe help the creative juices to flow a little bit with uh, Broken Cask, as well as games like uh, there's a great game called Traveler's Rest which is a it's basically stardew but you just run a tavern um 
And of course, I've been playing a bit of Animal Crossing on the old Switch. So I think with games like that, it was influential in maybe my tone and some of the stylistic choices I made. But, um, oh, I will say this. No, there's one game in particular. It's primarily a mobile game, though you can get it on Steam. I mean, it's really everywhere now. It's called Merchant. It's just Merchant. I think it's um, stylized as Merchant RPG. But it's uh, by Retora Games. And it's um, it's it's a tycoon simulator, but that kind of belies the depth of the game there because there's a lot of heavy-duty design work that w went into that game. And the premise is that you are a merchant and you run a shop and you send your adventurers out to get the stuff and they come back and they give you the stuff and you turn it into things and you sell it to customers, which gives you money, which you can then pay the adventurers to go back out and get the stuff and do the quest. And so that element of hiring adventurers to go out and do the thing for you uh, definitely influenced the questing mechanics in Broken Cask. Hmm. Um, but as far as Thunder Mouse, not really, because there there isn't that much out there. Uh, for for starters, they're just um, you know there aren't a lot of biker oriented RPGs or video games uh, that I've played. I'm not really attracted to those. And then secondly, uh, Beyond Thunder City. My job on that game is essentially project manager because we have five amazing writers who have created these new worlds for Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse. And so um, I'm kind of living in their worlds and their design space in that regard. And then, of course, there, of course the is the ubiquitous comparison to uh, Biker Mice from Mars, which I reject wholeheartedly. <laughs> uh, but short of that, yeah, not not too many biker games out there to influence um, our game. Yeah, because isn't that TV show, it's like a really crazy uh, animated TV show from like the 70s or 80s? I think it was 90s. Yeah, I think but... it might have been like late 80s, early 90s. What do you think, Travis? I believe it was early 90s. It's It's been a long time since I've seen it. But yeah, it's... It's got a lot of space aspects because they're biker mice from Mars, so it's huh. got. And aren't they like muscly humanoid, human-sized mice too? They are. They're like they're basically like the Ninja Turtles, but biker mice. Yeah. Right. So they're not actual mice, <laughs> mice, huh? Because they're biker right. mice from Mars, so Marsh and mice are humanoid-ish creatures that can talk and stuff. Huh. It's weird. That is there weird. Is. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a direct inspiration, except maybe the sci-fi set in that is in this, but. Yes, and actually, to, to wit, the uh, Elizabeth Chaipradeetkul, who I think I said her name right, she designed Metal Mouse Furry Trail, which is our sci-fi setting, and she was very kind um, and took a break from working on the Avatar RPG to write a little dev diary for us, which is going to come out for backers on Monday. And in that, she does specifically cite Biker Mice from Mars. So all the people who make that comparison can be can be justified for that setting. They can be a little bit right. Yeah, and against the main creator of the show, huh? Or the game, Travis. I think you had a question, kind of segueing into that, actually. Oh uh, yeah, so I kind of want to know, like, how you chose the people you worked with specifically to make this the the newer the expansion for it. Uh, well, like, were they friends of yours, or did you just know them professionally? Most of them I just met professionally through the independent game developer network. Uh, or the IGDN. So way back in 2017, when we did the initial Kickstarter, I reached out to just various people in the IGDN. I, I did kind of an open call and um, they all presented their ideas and I thought they were all awesome and they're all well, well-respected writers in the, in the RPG world. Craig Campbell specifically, he, he's someone I know. He, he, he's someone I know because he lives locally here in Atlanta 
And so in peacetime, we would hang out, you know, in person and, and, and stuff like that. And he's been a very good uh, friend and uh, professional acquaintance. And, and so he's the only one that I know personally, but uh, Steve and Todd and Liz and uh, Jonathan, I just met through the IGDN online and I was aware of their work because they're all tremendous writers and game designers. Um, and they were all initially stretch goals for the first campaign that we did back in the day. And um, we funded enough to get Craig's and Liz's published, but only online. We never did it in print. And Jonathan, because I knew it would be too many stretch goals, he wasn't even featured on the initial Kickstarter. So I was very pleased to uh, go back and be able to pay him to write his setting, which was called the Midmouse, uh, which we live streamed this weekend. Um, so that's kind of that's a long answer to your question. But yeah, essentially, I know them all through the IGDN, uh, barring Craig. So this is kind of a follow up to that. Um, what I was going to ask was, and you kind of answered this a little bit, was it always a plan from the beginning to do the expansion or was this something like thought up later on? Later on. So as I said, we we had enough to fund Craig and Liz's settings, but it was only um digitally, only through drive through RPG, not in print. Yep. And then I realized um about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was like, this is dumb. Why don't like I could just do another Kickstarter and <laughs> raise some money and um you know, pay them to write it, pay pay Jacob to do the work uh, and illustrate these mice. And we'll have a nice, nice book, a nice setting uh, expansion for the game. Uh, but schedules just didn't click. So I didn't intend to do Beyond Thunder City right after finishing Broken Cask. But the timing just worked out. Like Jacob is a working illustrator um, who's got a lot on his plate. And so it was really this this summer and this fall was when I could kind of lock him in to do the illustration, which was the main thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so... It was intended, but it didn't come together until this summer. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And with that, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, so you got all these five really cool settings that people can put their mouse game in. Did you have any really input on it? It sounds more like you were able to contact these great other creators and you kind of just gave them free roam to make whatever setting they want, or did you have some input or direct input on their settings? I didn't have any input in the content of their settings apart from my role as an editor. Um, so, you know, like any other kind of collaborative writing process, they would submit a draft and I would suggest some changes, you know, not too many because, you know, it's not like we have a huge budget and I can <laughs> spend months uh, critiquing their work and asking them to change things. So I did have some input in that regard. Um, one, one theme that, came up a few times in that process was just making sure that there was lots of info for the players to go on um, by way of examples. So like, what are you actually doing in this setting? Uh, mm. What are some scenes you could, you know, that you could write that would tell us what we're going to be doing in this world of yours. And that was really the only thing that I kind of had to um, ask of them, but I did, I did create an outline. I want, all of my stuff to be as uniform as possible um, because I'm a control freak <laughs> and also because I like clean design and uniformity. But uh, for readers as well, having all the settings in a similar format, I think helps it uh, helps the learning process. It makes it, it creates that scaffold so that the reader can just pick up what's going on mechanically in the game 
um, just by the style and the formatting, uh, and they can kind of focus more on the imaginative aspect. So there was an outline uh, that they had to follow. And so all of the settings uh, will have a similar layout, but short of that, yeah, it was really free reign for the writers. And, th and that's why I picked them. You know, they, they submitted a very short brief pitch about um, what their setting was. And uh, that was enough for me to go on to say like, just please write it. I'll pay you. Just get it done. This is so cool. I must, I must have this in print and I must tie Jacob to a chair and make him draw it. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it happened as like a Kickstarter. So there'll be an actual like physical book. Um, that sure. would be really nice to see, especially with, I'm really excited to see cause Jacob, I love his artwork throughout your book and I want to see like his interpretation on these like really cool settings. Like I like the idea of that, like neon futuristic, like Japanese city with the mice um yeah it's like a kira with mice isn't it yeah it is really and yeah that's gonna be really cool to see his interpretation on that so mm -hmm. stepping away for a second from heavy metal thunder mouse um recently i got or it's on the way the physical copy of the broken cask because for our listeners i'm starting a little spin-off podcast called forever and gnome where i play solo role-playing solo role-playing game podcasts oh, that's uh, cool role-playing games and just because I never really played those before, and like, of course, now is a perfect time to play them, but it's just more of an experiment because, like, I love the idea of just playing a role playing game by yourself. And, like, it must be really creatively difficult to construct a role playing game around that. So, I guess my question is for a broken cask, which is about managing a tavern, you told us a little bit about your inspirations for uh, making it. What was the challenges of writing? a solo role-playing game which is kind of a niche market kind of but also must be kind of difficult to write that compared to a traditional like team group uh game where there's multiple people playing yeah the secret is to find good inspiration and just jump off from there i mentioned merchant but really the the game that i played that made me think i could do it was four against darkness uh, which is a, you you may have heard of. It's a pretty popular solo RPG. And um, I got super into that last year. I played it a lot, and I thought it wouldn't be too difficult to kind of take that formula and tweak it in such a way that um, it could be about running a tavern. Uh, because, you know, the dungeon crawl thing is great, but it's already been done. And I think, uh, in part, the difficulties of the past few years have pushed me to seek comfort. And I, I think I've always found the fantasy tavern setting, you know, from like the prancing pony on down uh, to be very comforting. And so it, I felt it would be nice for people to have a way to interact with that very comfortable, cozy setting on their own. You don't have to worry about, because there's already a couple of very good um, group oriented tabletop games about running a tavern, like uh, Tiny Taverns by Robert Denton. And so having the option to do that solo seemed really cool to me um, because even if everyone's stuck at home on lockdown, it's still somehow magically difficult to line up schedules and things like that. And sometimes you just want to chill and play on your own. And so um, the design process was pretty... Getting it on paper is never that hard when you feel inspired. It's the playtesting that's the worst. And so... Um, having the kind of core mechanics in place of the, the 2d6 um, event table. That's kind of the locus of the game. 
and then the questing mechanics. Um, once you kind of have those locked in, it's not that hard because you can just, everything else is just playing with those core ideas. So all of the cool items you can unlock, the additions to your inn that you can build, the upgrades to your characters, those all kind of fit nicely. They're, they're modular to that, uh, that, that core design loop. Um, but the devil is in the details. And so when I, I didn't have a lot of play testers, I only had a couple and, uh, they gave me some great feedback, but because there's so much that can happen in this game when it's so randomly generated, um, I was still getting feedback, um, up until, you know, a few weeks before release. And so my poor, <laughs> my poor layout, man, Paolo, I'm like sending him <laughs> emails, but like, wait, we got to fix this. We got to fix that. Like, I forgot about this. Uh, even, you know, even just tonight, I, or it was tonight or last night, I got an email from, um, a backer who said, man, this game's so fun, but I rolled a 55 on the name table and there's nothing there. And I said, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know that's not a big deal like you know you don't need um you know however many d66 names to choose from you can make up your own like one missing name is not a huge deal no. uh but at the same time like i have a feeling that those little details are going to be popping up from now to christmas uh where where people are buying the game and enjoying it and then finally like hmm this part something's missing here or this doesn't make sense or i can't find this and so um, that's really the difficulty. What, you know, when you have a, the core loop in mind, the design is not that hard, but making sure, the, I guess that's more the editing process, making sure everything is there is really, really difficult. And so, um, you know, so that's why I, a lot of games do this, but what I did was I created a quote unquote rules clarification, which is really a quote unquote, like cover my ass document. <laughs> so if there's, so if like, you know, like the name thing I mentioned or, um, other little like there's one little misprint uh things like that where it's almost like patching a video game where i can update this document and be like hey we found out that if you roll a 55 there's not a name there you can pick your own name and just be patient and we'll we'll fix it at some point um you know because even something as small as throwing in a table can kind of upset the layout balance of the whole book and so that's a project I'm not really able to take on yet. So, so again, not unlike patching your favorite video game, that's what that document is for. So like cyberpunk um, kind of. Except right. I, I don't think there's yes. as much things to patch as cyberpunk. Let's get that out yes. of the way. Yeah, you, there are splashes in the water in my game, as long as your imagination is functioning correctly, which maybe wasn't the case with the initial launch of cyberpunk. No. So the difficulty is in the details, not so much the general uh, game design. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because like... I would imagine playtesting your game, a traditional role-playing game with three or four guests that are there to test it, people are helping each other out, but it must be a little bit stressful to do it for a solo person because it's just you watching them play and them giving you feedback. So yeah, I was kind of thinking about like how the playtesting would go for that. Uh, yeah, that's a lesson I'm, I'm, I'm having to learn because I think... You know, I, I could have sat down with someone in person. I did with, I mean, I did with a family member and mm. I, I sat down to watch them play. But for the most part, it was online. Okay. And so it's e it's easier in the sense that I can just email someone and be like, all right, here's this document. Here's how the game works. Check it out. Let me know what you think. But it's not as quality feedback because in person. When like for Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse, I invited my friends to my house physically. And I was like, I'm going to buy you some pizza and some beer, some beer and pretzels, maybe. Ooh. Wink, wink. And, um, like we're going to play this game and you can let me know what you think. And so that way they have to play the game because they're at my house. But if some bloke from Reddit, like 
I just email them some links, like I may not hear back from them, you know. Yeah. So playtesting is always difficult, but um, especially during even, COVID. Yeah, you're. Yeah, and you're dead on. It's definitely more difficult with a solo game. It sounds like there's a lot of cool settings in this the expansion. If you had to choose, like one, if if they were all like real life places, if you had to choose one to go to, oh, would my. you have one in mind? That's easy. I would go with uh, Rock and Roll Sock Hop Mouse. Okay. So let me justify my answer. So uh, for those who haven't backed the Kickstarter yet and who are definitely going to after they hear this podcast. Of course. The Rock and Roll Sock Hop Mouse is Craig's version of Thunder City, but in the 1950s. So it's like Grease slash Happy Days slash Dukes of Hazard, And it's very cheerful. Uh, there's a little bit of teen angst, but for the most part, it's like, you know, Chuck Berry and uh, Maltz and, you know, poodle skirts and things like that so what and is like so, the movie influence from that like what time period or movie would that be inspired by uh definitely happy days definitely greece mm. he did specifically mention dukes of hazard um oh, that was like 70s yeah not 1950s so may- maybe even um the rebel the rebel without a cause you know the marlin definitely rebel without a cause actually because now that i'm thinking of it J- jacob drew a mouse with the kind of Marlon Brando cap from that movie. <laughs> so definitely like 1950s, uh, early rock and roll setting. Uh-huh. And so, because that one is, you know, it's the most cheerful and easiest to live in. Um, Metal Mouse Furry Trail is like Mad Max in space. And so like you're being pursued by half crazed hamsters <laughs> and um, Neo Nazumi at which you mentioned is like, you know, Neo Tokyo, uh, Akira, cyberpunk, which which would be cool, but it would be not very comfortable. No. And then salvation is like kind of post apocalyptic, like mutants and that kind of thing. Not That's very cool. comfortable. And then Call the Midmouse is post World War Two. I mean, it's just like the show Call the Midwife, but with mice, so it's super cute. But it so even though that's more chill than like blasting hamsters in space, there's still like childbirth involved. <laughs> So I think I think rock and roll sock hop mouse would be the chillest that I would like to go ride my mouse motorcycle around in. No, that's fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, the rest might be a little bit too stressful for you if you're just trying to live. Yeah, man, I'm I'm trying to chill. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Jacob, who of course with a fun game comes like the great illustrations by Jacob that only enhances the book, which is why I had to get the uh, physical copy of this and why I'm going to be glad to get the physical copy of this expansion game Um, with Jacob. I was kind of curious with finding a good illustrator for a role-playing game. When you kind of work with him and it sounds like he's very busy working for other things as well. Is it like, what is the creative process? Like, do you give him an idea for like a splash page and then he illustrates it and send it back to you and you send him more ideas for future things? Or is it more like detail? Like, does he send you like drafts, if you will, and then you might ask him to add more things or something? Or does he kind of just have, does he just go off whatever ideas he has? It strictly depends. So uh, we'll talk about Jacob in a second. I'll use Claudia as an example. Claudia Kangini did Broken Cast. And with her, I was very vague. There were a few specific scenes that I wanted and I said, all right, I want this. I want to see this kind of character. And then after that, like, I didn't really have a lot of input. And so she just went nuts and she drew all these awesome scenes and she would send me a pencil and I would say, yay, very good. Or no, could you please fix this? And uh, then she would finish it up with Jacob. We have to be a little bit more specific, um, not to any, not any discredit to his, his taste or um, professional talent or anything like that. 
but because the the writers want specific things illustrated in those books um, to showcase their settings because there is a finite number of pictures they can have uh, in each setting. So there's more of a, a, a more of a, a scarcity of pictures um, than with something like Broken Cask. And so in the case of um, Beyond Thunder City, I had each writer create a brief uh, for a cover illustration and then three uh, other illustrations, uh, like I said, to get the most bang for their buck because we want to see cool stuff, but more importantly, we want to inform the reader slash player of what's possible in this world. Mm. And so um, sometimes it's specific like that. Like I want to see a mouse jumping off of a train uh, with blowing up, you know, a mutant hamster or whatever. It's something specific like that. Um, but sometimes it's not. So like with the cover, I had basically zero direction to go on. Uh, and so Jacob had some free reign with it. And what he did was absolutely awesome. So he did a composite of the five different settings. So there's, you know, the Barlin Brando mouse and the uh, space mice and all the characters from the different settings are, are um, collaged together on this cover. And so in that instance, he would just text me because he's local, so we're buds. He would text me like, I think this would be a cool idea. And I say, okay, great, do it. And then he'll send me a pencil with the, the vague idea. And I would say, okay, this is great, but what about this? What about that? And so it's more collaborative in that sense. Um, hmm. So essentially, it, it depends on the project and it depends on the particular illustration of what we want to have done. Uh, so it could be very specific where we just give him a brief and then he tears it up and does an awesome job. Or there might be more back and forth if... Um, you know, if it's, if the creative impetus is more on him. So it's strictly situational, I would say. That makes sense. Do you have anything planned for the future of Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse or other projects? As usual, there's, there's some ideas around, bouncing around the old brain here, uh, but nothing pressing at the moment. I remember last time I spoke with you guys, I was like, I'm going to do like a heavy metal game with like a band. Um, and that game like just didn't work. I, try, I like poked at it for months and just couldn't get it to work. So at this point, um, I'm more focused on my my fiction writing than on game design. Uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe next year or the year after, we'll we'll have some more role playing games uh, in the in the old cooker. I'm excited for this because it's going to come out um, early next year, right? Like February or so, February or March. The, uh, the goal, you know, if it takes me locking Jacob in a in a room, the goal is to have it in the backers' hands by January which means publicly uh, Beyond Thunder City should be released by the end of January, early February at the latest. Oh, pretty cool. And for everyone out there that's been listening, definitely you should check it out because it's a great game and this sounds like a pretty fun expansion to that. And you guys will be hearing us play it very soon. So Derek, where can people, well, of course, uh, Kickstarter, but where can people support this game, but also your other games and just check you out in general? I'm pretty sure you can just Google shoreless skies. There's a lot of S's, but it's two words, shoreless skies. And that should lead you to my website, which will link to the Kickstarter and as well as all the uh, socials. I'm on all the socials and probably most active on Twitter for some reason. Uh, but I'm shoreless skies everywhere. And everywhere I am, the mice go with me. And so if you find me, you will find a link to um, back us on the Kickstarter, which I would dearly appreciate. Yeah, definitely. And for people... Definitely check out the Kickstarter. I'm going to be putting it in the link to this episode, so I'll just make it very easy to 
find the direct link to the Kickstarter, but also, like Derek says, he has his Twitter page and his own personal website. Derek, thank you very much for, once again, coming on board and chatting Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse with us. Awesome, Travis. I really appreciate it. It was a great time. Yeah, thank you. And for everyone else, stay tuned, because very soon we'll be playing a two-part episode of Heavy Metal Thunder Mouse. I don't want to spoil too much, but I have a really fun story planned for that, so people should definitely return to that. And then and after we have a that, couple of good characters planned out, too. We do. Brad has a really cool one I'm very excited for, and I think you've talked to me a little bit about your character, so that should be good. And then... After that, we're going to be keeping our characters, so if people really like those characters, stay tuned, because the next year, once I get my dirty paws on this Kickstarter, the um, expansion to this, we'll be playing the same characters but in new settings, which should be really fun. You don't mind me jumping in there, oh, definitely. because you are a backer, you will get early access to the text uh, next month. Next month? Oh, perfect. So it depends. It depends on if you want to wait for the finished product. But if you don't mind having like a beta test, yeah, you'll get the you'll get the settings uh, next month. Oh, cool. Then that could be a conversation piece. Is around a month or so. Which of the five settings to play first? Ooh, that's a good question. So we'll maybe we'll have our own input, but I definitely want to hear from our audience. You've heard it here, and hopefully you'll see it on the actual Kickstarter. Which one should the Beer and Pretzel Podcast play first? Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Beer and Pretzel Podcast.